Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Amen. As I said earlier, next week I believe the Lord has instructed me to minister on how spiritual warfare affects your finances and your prosperity. And so we're not going to just teach on how, we're going to teach on how you can battle and win. So that'll be next Sunday. But we're going to pick up from where we left off last week when our series for June called Source. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. You can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. And if you want to follow along with us on our notes, you can get them on the Bible app on the live events section. You can hit download. It can be on your device, and you can save it for later. I encourage you to go through those notes and add the notes as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart during today's experience. And look at those notes throughout the week. And also, as always, you can get all of our messages for free on our podcast as well as on, your webs- on our website. And if you just have to have the CD, we do have the CD for sale in the bookstore. We want to be a blessing to you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time reviewing today, so I encourage you to listen to last week's message. How many of you were here last week? You put your hands down. How many of you weren't here last week? Where were you? We missed you. So make sure you catch up on the message through the podcast or the website. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, the Amplified Classic Edition reads this way, Yet for us there is only one God, the Father, who is the source of all things, and for whom we have life, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through and by whom are all things, and through and by whom we ourselves exist. God is our source. Or at least he should be your source. Say, God is my source. Go to John 15. As we said last week, a source is only as good as its supply. And last week we looked at the unlimited supply of God. And one of the things we're doing in this series is teaching how you can tap in to that supply. That it doesn't matter what need is in your life, God has a supply. Say, it doesn't matter matter. the need. need. God God has has my supply. John 15, start with verse 5. We talked through John 15 last month, and we're going to continue to do it this month, and I'm sure it's going to show up again next month. John 15, verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides or continues in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abides not or continues not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. The Amplified Classic Edition says, if a person is cut off from vital union with me. As we said last week, the challenges you are facing today should not cause you to disconnect. See your problems before you as an opportunity to promote you to your purpose. So instead of saying, oh, this thing's not taking me out, say, nope, it's positioned to promote me. It's positioned to take me higher. It's positioned for my destiny. It's positioned for my victory. Because if you always view your problem as too much to handle, you will never go too far. See, I was listening to someone's podcast, I forget who it was, but they said, a leader faces challenges. It says, if you never face challenges, you're not a leader. 
You're just a follower. And so you may be the first person in your family to graduate from college. You are a leader. You may be the first person in your family to have a marriage that works. You are a leader. You may be the first person in your family to get debt-free and begin to prosper. You are a leader. So don't get backed into a wall because challenges come your way. Just know you're leading people behind you to a better place. We're all called to be leaders. One of the things about the body of Christ is not just the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher that are anointed. God anoints every single believer. And you are anointed to lead. You are anointed to go forward, so don't be scared of challenges. Don't be scared of circumstances. Don't be scared of problems. I would love to tell you that once you become born again, everything is just easy street. You can skip through the flowers and smile and be a nice little hippie, and nothing bad will ever come your way. But how many of you have been saved long enough to know that's not the truth? But the truth is, you're more than a conqueror through him that loves you. If you have to be a conqueror, that means you will face some battles. If you have to be a conqueror, that means something will come against you. But we read the back of the book and we win. So don't be moved because something comes at you. Just know, I already know my victory was written before I was born. The Christian should be the most optimistic, filled with hope person that ever exists because they know they are on the winning side. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That means you are greater by association alone. So it doesn't matter what Satan sends your way. It doesn't matter what hater sends your way. It doesn't matter what life sends your way. You are on the winning side and you are destined for greatness. You are destined for victory. You are destined to be more than a conqueror because God loves you. Victory is defined as part of the grace of God. So God gives you victory. Why does he give you victory? Because you did everything right? No, he gives you victory because he loves you. When you line up to his will, when you walk by faith and walk in love, that is the highway he can minister his love to you. But you have to remain connected. Because if you do not remain connect, connected, if you disconnect yourself, you will wither and look like the rest of the world. It's not God cutting people off. It's people cutting God off. Go to Leviticus chapter 25, 26. Leviticus chapter 26. There is a supply, but you must remain connected. Don't wither and become like the world. You need to flourish. Leviticus 26. We have some beautiful young people which we're going to dedicate to the Lord later on in our experience. But families, one of the things I encourage you to do is teach your children to remain connected. Because one of the greatest things you could ever give the kingdom of God is raising a child that serves God all the days of their life. Leviticus 26, starting with verse 1. You shall make you no idols... Say none, not one. 
nor a graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Why is he saying that? I am your source, not some idol you make, not some picture you come up with. They aren't your source. I am your source. I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. Another translation says in verse 5, your threshing, your threshing season will overlap with the grape harvest, and your grape harvest will overlap with the season of planting grain. You will eat your fill and live securely in your own land. So the rain causes such increase that there's no gap of productivity, that there is no lack. Now, where, why did the rain come to the land? Because they remain connected to their source. So God is telling them that at any time you disconnect and follow idols or whatever you create, there will be no more rain. Because the rain came from their source. So I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 16. If you stay connected, you will experience the rain, the flow of the blessing from your source. If you stay connected, you will experience the rain, the flow of the blessing from your source. This is the year of fabulous outpourings from heaven. It's raining. So are you receiving the outpouring or are you disconnected? Because God can promise the rain, and it could be raining everywhere, but you could be withering if you don't stay connected. And it's not, I'm connected on Sunday, I do my own thing on Monday, I turn up on Tuesday, I live how I want on Wednesday, I do what I want on Thursday, I'm tired, Friday, I'm so thankful it's the weekend, let me turn up and drink a little bit, Saturday I'm dealing with my hangover, oh, I need to come to church, let me get myself together and come and smiling. That's not remaining connected. I'm going to have fun today. Go to 1 Kings chapter 16. So we're going to spend some time in 1 Kings talking about the life and the ministry of Elijah. We're going to talk today about the life of the, and ministry of Elijah. So the subtitle of the message is The Battle of the Sources. The Battle of the Sources. 1 Kings 16. We're going to start with verse 29 because I want to give you some background. A lot of times we just read through our favorite stories and we don't realize the background. So I was going through chapter 16 to chapter 19, verse by verse by verse, preparing this message. And so there's some things I realized in this text I had never seen before. But I believe God is going to anoint in a fresh way for you to see where you are in your life. So nine lessons from the life and ministry of Elijah about God being your source. I'll give you nine different lessons from the life and ministry of Elijah about God being your source. So starting with verse 29. And in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, that's God's kingdom of his people in the south, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. That's to the north. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord 
above all. All, not just a few people, all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk through the sins of Jeroboam. So notice how God is talking about this guy's rule before we get into more details about him. He did more evil than any other king before him. It talks about Ahab would provoke God. Everything he did, he's like he was trying to tick God off. Imagine the nerve of Ahab. And then it talks about if it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. When he studied the kings before here, the judgment negative against them was because they were walking the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. Now, what are the sins of Jeroboam? So after the split, Solomon turned away from God in his latter days. And God said, because you turned, the kingdom is not staying with you. But because David served me, and because I made a promise to David, I will keep part of the kingdom in your house. See, the thing is, there are generational blessings. There may be things that are going right in your life, and you're living a ratchet, hot mess life. But some good things keep happening. That's because you had a praying great-grandmother who served the Lord. And God remembers what she did, so he's going to be faithful to her seed. So I challenge you, if Jesus tarries, to live a life where your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren can be blessed because you told Jesus yes. So after the split, God gave David's house, the kingdom of Judah, and he gave another house, the kingdom of Israel. He made Jeroboam king. He took him from the common people and made him king. And so Jeroboam was nervous because the people were supposed to come and worship God in Jerusalem, which was part of Judah. He was concerned that if they go to Judah, they are going to revolt against me and I won't be king anymore. Even though God already promised Jeroboam, if you follow me, I will make sure you and all your kids are in the house of royalty. He's given him a similar promise to David, saying, if you just follow me, I'll bless everything your family does. But because he was afraid, he told the people, it's too much for you to go to church in Jerusalem. So how about this? Let me set up two gods for you. A calf over here, a calf over there. And instead of going down to Judah, because it's too much for you to go to church when it rains. It's too much for you to go to church even though you worked had a hard week. It's too much. These are your gods, Israel, which brought you out of Egypt. So he made them gods of fear and convenience. So he starts his own man-made religion. He takes part of what they're used to and mixes it with what he wants. And so it talks about the morally lowest people became priests. He took the people that no one respected, that had the worst values, and he made them the leaders of this religion. He formed their own religious customs, holidays, and celebrations. So this is what Jeroboam did, and it says he made the whole nation to sin. So Ahab, it says that it was a light thing, that it was nothing for him to do those same things and encourage Israel to keep doing it. So what, was, what did he do next? That he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. 
So if it wasn't enough to bow down to these two golden calves set up in Israel, he married a woman that ticked God off. Now, it wasn't because she was from another nation. God had no problem with that. See, the name Jezebel and Ethbel speak to their relationship to Baal. Ethbel was king of the Zidonians, but he was also the priest of that religion. So they were very zealous about Baal. So he didn't just marry a woman from another nation. He married a woman that was zealous about serving Baal. He married her, brings her to Israel, sets up a temple and altar for Baal, and worships them too. So now you see the beginning of the story. See, Jezebel also had another god. She worshiped two gods, Baal and Ashtoreth. So in the Old Testament, when you see the word groves, that's also translated from the Hebrew Ashtoreth. It's one of the gods they served in that area. And verse 33, and Ahab made a grove, that's Ashtoreth, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. More than anybody. That Ahab and Jezebel was like their personal mission. Let's see how far we can go. Let's see how we can tick God off today. That was how the Old Testament described their reign. That it was 22 years of trying to tick God off. Whew. In his days, that he held the Bethlehem build Jericho. He led the foundation thereof in Abraham, his firstborn son, and set up the gates thereof in his youngest son, Sigub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. When Joshua conquered Jericho, he says, no one build Jericho again. If you build it, this will be the cost of it. So disregard for God spread in such a way that people decided it was a good idea to rebuild Jericho, which God tore down. That's how much they disrespected God. So you get to chapter 17, verse 1. So the more background about Baal and Ashtoreth, they were fertility gods. Their religion said they were responsible for the rain, production, and fertility. And the worship of this god and goddess were child sacrifices and the use of holy prostitutes at the temple. So the reason why they, were sac they wouldn't sacrifice children every day, but they would do it if they ran into a tough situation and they expected they sacrificed a child, it would bring them prosperity. So they would sacrifice a child for the sake of convenience so their money would be right. Abortion is not new. There were holy prostitutes at the temple because they would engage in those acts at Baal's temple because they believed if the gods engaged in those acts, they would have prosperity. So they were doing things that were sexually immoral, shacking up for the sake of financial convenience. Y'all can be quiet if you want to. In this era, polytheism was pre the prevailing belief among many nations. There was a God for the sea, a God for the wilderness, a God for fertility, a God of the storm, and etc. Their beliefs were compartmentalized. So depending on what was needed, they honored the appropriate God. So it never says in the Old Testament that Ahab stopped serving God. It never said he stopped worshiping God, offering sacrifices. The problem with Ahab is he had many gods. 
He had many idols. So one day, he may worship God. How do we know he did that? All of his children were named after God. All of his children that are recorded have names that are connected to God's name. So he still kept some of that religious custom, but he worshiped Baal and Ashtoreth and the gods Jeroboam set up. And he led Israel to do the same thing. So you get to chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Now Elijah's name means the Lord Jehovah is God. His name described his mission. So if you're confused about who is God, Elijah shows up. Just say my name and you know who God is. And he said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So it's not going to rain again. Dew is not going to come up from the earth until I say so. Why did Israel lose rain? Why did they lose dew? They disconnected from their source. So when they said, God, we don't want you, we want Baal. We want Ashtoreth. We want all these other gods. God, let them have their way. God will not make anybody do right. God will not make anybody serve him. But there will come a day if you are disconnected long enough, the supply stops flowing. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah saying, get thee hence, get out of here, and turn the eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and drove by the brook Cherith that is before the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Some commentaries said those birds went to Jezebel's table, picked up her food, and took it to the man of God. So even though the nation has experienced judgment because they disconnected themselves from their source, God provided for his man. So lesson number one, it doesn't matter if the world around you is withering. God can cause you to flourish. It doesn't matter if the world around you is withering. God can cause you to flourish. So never define your potential based on what's going on in the economy. Never define your potential based on what the news reports say. Never define the potential by what your family said. Define your potential by, by who God says he is, and he will do exceedingly, abundantly, far above all you can ask, think, pray for, imagine, according to the power that's at work in you. So Elijah stays there for a while. Camp outside, drinking water from the brook, food brought every morning and night. But it comes to a point where the river dries because there's no rain. Verse 8, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Lesson number two, God is your source, and he manifests himself through different resources. God is your source, and he manifests himself through different resources. For one season, he supplied Elijah through the raven in the river. But he says, now the season is changing. I'm going to send you somewhere else because that's where the supply is coming from. Now, God is the source, but he has many resources to get it to you. See, a great river has many tributaries. 
Many different streams that flow to form a great river. God is your source, and he has many different ways to get provision to you. Now, let me give you an example. Y'all know I like props. So, Brother Horace, if you can help me. Brother Robert, if you can help me. And Brother Knight, if you can help me. So, Brother Robert, if you can hold this. This represents your life. This represents the time you spent in the Word and prayer. You know this. This represents the relationships God has put in your life that you remain connected to and are a part of. So whether it's your faith group or through serving or those different things. And so, Brother Horace, if you can pour this into the picture. This is if you consistently pray and read the word every day. Listen to a message every day. But notice it's not full. God sometimes will minister to you through the relationships he's put in your life. So if you pour this in there. But it's still not full. But this person prays. They read the word. They spend time with other believers. They may watch ministry online, but they are still not full. This represents coming to church. This represents coming to hear the word, coming to worship God, coming to spend time in his presence as a collective group. Because without this, you won't be full. This squashes the notion that you can have church at home. Well, I'm spiritual. I know Jesus. I read my Bible. I don't need to be around all those Christians. They're hypocrites anyways. I'm going to be saved all by myself. You ain't full. You're missing out, and you're disregarding Hebrews. says, don't forsake the fellowshipping and the gathering together of the brethren. Because the thing is, as much as you attend, so it's not just, you know, once a month. Once a year, every other year. Because as much as you attend, it's as much as you receive. Well, we came every six weeks. Okay. But if you keep attending, you're here every time the doors are open, you will be filled. Because it's not just you read the word and you prayed. It's because you did everything God has put in your life that you're supposed to be filled. See, it's not my job to fill you. It's my job to be filled by God and pour out what he put into me. And then you have the responsibility to do these other things so that you can walk around full. Because what's the point of walking around full? Minister Tanisha, if you bring me the offering bucket. There will be circumstances in life that needs what you got. There'll be other people that need what you have. And so you have to pour out into a dry, withering, thirsty world. But what happened? I'm empty. So do it all over again. Spend more time in the Word. Spend more time in prayer. Spend time with the people God has put in your life. Come back to church. Get filled up again and go do it all over again. 
It's consistency. In consistency, there is power. It's not just because I did something one time. It's because this is what my lifestyle is based on the habits that I have. Thank you all so much. So God tells Elijah to go to Zarephath. Now, that name means nothing to any of us. And until this weekend, it meant nothing to me. It was just a city where this woman resided. But I studied, where is Zarephath? It says it belongs to the Zidonians. Wait a minute. Jezebel's daddy is the king of the Zidonians. So God needed to hide his man. So he sent him back to Jezebel's family's territory. And he hid Elijah in the middle of the enemy. See, God can hide you in the middle of all your haters and hell can't touch you. So it doesn't matter who's around you. It doesn't matter what they try to do. But if you're where God wants you to be, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Nothing hell will attempt to do will work because you're in the secret place of the Most High God. You abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He is your refuge. He is your tower. He is your strength. So don't fret because a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. No, you're in the secret place of God and no weapon can stop you. So that's lesson three. God can hide you in the midst of the enemy and hell can't touch you. So he shows up. Because remember the Bible says he commanded the woman, woman, the widow woman to take care of him. So he shows up at the gate and says, hey, can you get me a little bit of water? She says, sure, I'll get you water. Remember, it's a drought. So this is still an expensive act. She's doing this because God told her to do so. So she walks away to get the water, and he says, oh, by the way, can you make me just a little snack? It's been a long road. And she turns back and says, as the Lord God lives, I'm gathering these few twigs so I can make a small little fire to take what I have left to make some cakes for me and my son, and we're going to eat it, we're going to enjoy a happy meal, and we're going to die. Whew, that is a bleak situation. We're about to enjoy our last Happy Meal, and it's over. So you might think Elijah says, well, that's okay. Go ahead. He says, make me a cake first. Lord, have mercy. If any preacher said that today, it would be more political drama on that message than anything that goes on in Washington. Everybody would stop looking at D.C. He says, did you hear what that preacher did? That widow woman had nothing. He says, before you buy yourself a Happy Meal, get me a snack first. <laughs> 13, Elijah says, fear not. Go and do as you have said, but make me there of a little cake first. And bring it unto me, and after make for you and your son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. The barrel of milk shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. So not only is Elijah sustained, this woman is sustained, her child is sustained, and anybody who comes into that house has a meal. Why? Verse 14 it's the promise from God. 
Verse 15 is the seed and the action. Seed and action can tap into the supply of the source. We talked about how last week prayer can tap into the source. But seed and obedience to what God told you to do can tap into the supply of God. You have to act on what he says. You can't just hear and believe. You must be doer of the word that you hear. Remember, she needs provision. So what does she give? A cup of water and this little cake. And what happens? She gets more than a hundredfold return because she eats off of that harvest of that seed for years. Her house eats off of it for years. She has such abundance. Anybody who comes in her house eats off of it for years. There's a promise. There's a seed. It tapped into the supply. Now, everything's going pretty well. You think this woman's pretty happy. Everything's going well. People are, the world is withering, but she is flourishing. She's followed God. God is taking care of her. But then disaster hits. Her only son, her child, dies. She thinks it's because she had some sin in her past. She comes to the man of God and says, are you here to remind me of my past sin? Did God kill my baby because I sinned? A lot of people have that mentality that this happened in my life. God is trying to get me back for what I did. Elijah takes the child in his arms and goes to pray. And he just asks God the question, did you do this? And then he prays, and God gives the answer because the boy came back to life. Like, no, I didn't do this. I'm the source of life. He brings the baby back down and said, here's your child alive. So one of the things, one of the worst things you can do to tell a grieving family is, well, God needed another flower in heaven, so he plucked your child off that earth. That is bull crap. That is religion, and it's from hell. God's not going to take someone off the earth because he wants a flower. He's not some sadist. He will receive people before it's their time. But he didn't just take them because he wanted something pretty to look at. Go to chapter 18. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord, verse 1, came to Elijah in the third year. So this is going on for three years, saying, Go, show yourself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. There's the promise. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. Now, because it's not rain for three years, everyone's in a famine. Why? They disconnected from their source, and now they are withering. So Ahab tells Obadiah, someone who worked, he was the governor of his house, I don't know if Ahab realized it, but Obadiah followed God. He loved God. And God had positioned him in that house of the wicked man to protect his people. Because Obadiah had access to secret information. Because as you read this verse, Jezebel was not just zealous for serving Baal. She went in and killed the other prophets of God. She began to persecute the prophets of God and kill them off. So Obadiah in his position hit a hundred of them for years. And fed them every day. So you know he's taking the provision of the wicked man's house. And feeding the people of God. Because the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. And it eventually transfers into their hands. I might cover that later this month. But when I get to James chapter 5 on midweek, that's what we're talking about. The wealth transfer. 
And so Ahab tells Obadiah, let's split the land before us. You go this way, I go that way. Let's see if we can find some grass so we can feed the horses and the cows so we don't lose all the animals. So this is the last desperate attempt. Let's go look again. Ahab goes one way, Obadiah goes the other. In his journey, he runs into Elijah. He recognizes Elijah. Elijah, is it really you? And he says, Obadiah, go tell Ahab that Elijah is here. And Obadiah goes, what did I do that you want me to die today? He said, Ahab has sent to every country he knows, messaged everybody he knew, and made them swear that Elijah wasn't in their kingdom. He didn't know that God hit Elijah back in Jezebel's house, Jezebel's kingdom. And he says, if I go and tell Ahab that you're here, the Lord may pick you up and take you somewhere else. Now, you don't just make that up. Elijah must have had a history and a ministry of being translated. Because you see it again in 2 Kings. You see it in the book of Ezekiel. You see it in the book of Acts. That the hand of God, the power of the Holy Ghost comes upon somebody, and God needs them to be somewhere else, so he picks them up and puts them in another spot. So Elijah must be known for being this type of person who walks in the supernatural power of God. And he says, as soon as God takes you somewhere else, I'm going to look foolish to Ahab, and he's going to kill me. Don't you know how I hid the prophets of God? Did no one tell you why do you want me to die today? And he makes him a promise. He says, as sure as God lives, I'm going to show myself to Ahab today. So Elijah and Ahab meet. Ahab goes and sees Elijah. And Ahab says, is it you who troubles all of Israel? And I love Elijah because he says, no, it's you and your daddy's house. You brought this trouble on Israel. You disconnected them from their source. So let's settle this matter forever. God gave Elijah a plan. He says, you go get your wife's 450 prophets of Baal. You go get your woman's 400 prophets of Ashereth. And we're going to have a showdown. And invite them to Mount Carmel and tell the whole nation to show up. We're going to settle this matter once and for all. Notice the man of God is telling the king what to do. He is a wicked heathen king and he still does what he says. So don't just think you're limited based on your position. If you are where God wants you to be, he can cause you to influence no matter whose position is around you. So they gather at the mountain. And Elijah announces the rules of the contest. Let's pick up in verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? The word halt means to hop. How long are you going to hop back and forth between two opinions or two thoughts? He says, if Jehovah is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Pick who you're going to serve this day. Stop playing both sides. Stop trying to hedge your bets. Pick who you are going to to serve. Remember, James 1.8 says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So lesson number four, being double-minded leads you to disconnection. Being double-minded leads you to disconnection. So he tells the prophets of Baal, y'all 850, you go first. You take your sacrifice of a bullock, that bull, you do what you need to do, I'll take one bull. 
The only catch is no one can light a fire under it. Here's how we determine winner. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. And all Israel says, that sounds like a good idea. So they're all watching this show. So the prophets of Baal and Asherah begin in the morning. And they call on Baal. Oh, Baal. Baal, heal us. Baal, help us. And they go on for hours upon hours upon hours. And Elijah's like, this is kind of funny. So he begins to mock them and says, hey, maybe Baal's asleep. Yell a little louder. You can wake him up. He is a god, isn't he? He might be using the restroom. Hold on a second. So Elijah is mocking them for hours. Then they began to leap and dance and cut themselves. Blood is flowing. They're trying to do all these things to get Baal's attention. And it says no one heard and no one answered. So Elijah says, at the time of the evening sacrifice, says, Israel, come here. Don't pay attention to these fools no more. And he took the bullock. And with the stones he built the altar in the name of the Lord. You see in verse 30 that the altar of the Lord had been broken down. That word broken means it was torn down. So he took 12 stones and repaired the altar. 12 stones represent the tribes of Israel. He's doing things according to God's covenant, according to his promise, according to his book. He rebuilds the altar, prepares the bullock. And if you read it, because he sacrifices the bull, that means nothing to you. Until you realize that under the law, the bullock was offered as an offering if the entire nation sinned. It was a sin offering. It was a guilt offering. Elijah's offering now, based on the entire nation who's all gathered watching him. What is he doing? Remember we talked about last week. There was a promise, there was prayer, and there was blood. What is he doing? There's a promise. You'll see later this prayer. Now he's presenting this offering so blood can flow and the sins can be done away with. But see, the thing is, it's also about to be a burnt offering. And a burnt offering was a symbol and offering of dedication to God. Found in one of these commentaries, on the part of the offerer, this signified the entirety of his faith and devotion to God. And the part of the sacrifice, it is the completeness of the atonement. Atonement means it takes the place of. So he's offering this bull to take the place of all the sins of the people. Yes, they sin. Yes, they turn from you, God. But I'm putting this bull here to represent their sin. To represent all their service to Baal and to Ashereth and the sins of Jeroboam. Here it is right here. Blood has been shed. A price has been paid. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament is pointing to the blood of Jesus. So he's now saying, he doesn't even realize it, forgive them on credit. Jesus hasn't come yet. He hasn't shed his blood. But I'm offering this bull so that they can be forgiven based on what Jesus is going to do. And then he prays a simple prayer. He says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant. I have done all these things at your word because you told me to do this. This is why I'm doing it. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and you have turned their heart back again. It wasn't a long prayer. It wasn't a drawn-out prayer. Well, verse 38 is the response. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell. Now, what's interesting about this, before we go forward, is after he prepared the bull, prepared the stones, he said, go get four barrels of water. Pour it on the sacrifice. Do it again. Do it a third time. I thought water was expensive. I thought it was a drought. But what does the nation need? Rain. They need water. So he sows a seed based on what they need. So lesson number five is sow what you need. Sow what you need. You need forgiveness, sow forgiveness. You need mercy, sow mercy. You need finances, sow finance. You need wisdom, be wisdom to somebody else. You need favor, show favor to somebody else. He sowed a seed based on the need. And it said the water filled the trench around it. This also provides there's no room for trickery. I don't have a secret fire hidden somewhere. He prays fire falls. It consumes the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. What happened? They turned to God. What did they do? They reconnected to their source. Right? There's prayer, there's blood, there's a promise that now reconnected. Elijah deals with the prophets of Baal. So y'all done for. And then he goes and tells King Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. There's no cloud in the sky. There hasn't been clouds for a long time. But he says, I hear something you don't hear. Because if you can hear something someone else can't hear, you can go places people can't go. You can do things people can't do. And you can live a life people can't get to. So he had a promise from God. There's blood. They've tapped into the supply. Most people stop there. He says, okay, God, I'm waiting for it. He says, your fabulous outpourings. Where is it? Where is my miracle? Where is it? I pled the blood. I prayed. I remembered your promise. But it's June. Where is my outpouring? He goes up to the mountain, says he falls down on his knees and buries his head between his legs in a position of prayer. What is he doing? He's praying out the word God gave him. 1 Timothy 1.18 says to wage a good warfare by the prophecies the Lord has spoken. So the Lord had promised him rain, but now he's going to pray out what God said. And so as he's praying, he tells his assistant, Go look to the ocean. Tell me if you see a cloud. It comes back. It says, there is nothing, but that's italicized. So he just said, nothing. Go look again and tell me what you see. Nothing. He could be discouraged. He could give up. He's been praying, but nothing has happened. He has been praying. Nothing has changed. He has been praying. God had promised him, but it seems like nothing will ever happen. But he said, go look again. Did this seven times. And then he came back and says, I don't want to get your hopes up. It's not much. But there is a cloud. Say, there's a cloud. And he said, it's just about the size of man's hand. Don't get your hopes up, Elijah. Elijah, there it is. Go tell the king to gather up his chariots and go so that the rain doesn't stop him. 
Next lesson, don't despise small beginnings. There is a cloud for you. Don't despise small beginnings. There is a cloud for you. And the other lesson is you need to give birth to the promises of God in your life by prayer. And it's not because you prayed once. It's continual prayer. It's consistent prayer. It's when you run out of praying the right words in English, you pray in the Holy Ghost concerning the matter. And what do I do? I keep praying and I keep praising until it shows up. I'm not going to give up just because I haven't seen what I'm believing for. And so it says, after a time, the, the sky is black with clouds and with wind, and it begins to rain. And the hand of God, the power of God, the Spirit of God comes on Elijah. He ties up his pants and begins to run and outruns Ahab's chariot. He is supernaturally accelerated to where he's supposed to go. Ahab goes to Jezreel, and so does Elijah. Ahab goes and tells Jezebel, hey, you will never believe what happened today. You see this rain? Let me tell you the backstory. So he tells Jezebel everything that happened, and Jezebel is furious. And he, she sends a message to Elijah. How does she do that? Elijah's in the same city. He's not that far away. And he says, let my gods do more to me if I don't kill you by tomorrow like you killed my prophets. You know, Elijah just called fire from heaven. He just prayed rain in. He just by hand took out 850 opponents. You would think, you would say, bring it on. Let's see what you got, you wicked woman. She literally was a witch, so he could have said, come on, witch, let's do this. But what did he do? Remember James 5, he's just like us. He ran for his life. Dropped his assistant off somewhere and kept going. Now, the thing is, one's reason, yes, he's scared, but there's another reason why he's running. He's discouraged. You know, he really thinks, because God brought him to Jezreel, he brought the rain, that maybe Ahab and Jezebel will repent and turn to God. Maybe this is the revival I've been praying for. Maybe this is the awakening I've been praying for. But now Jezebel wants to kill him. He's discouraged. And on his journey, he's praying, God, kill me. Not better than my father's. I'm done. Take me home early. Lesson eight. Don't be discouraged because the rain hasn't solved your issue yet. Number eight. Don't be discouraged because the rain hasn't solved your issue yet. Remember last fall, we were in a drought here in Georgia. They said, we need to rain, so we got together and prayed for rain, and within a week and a half, it began to rain. A lot of rain. But then I was driving here, I went by one of the Smyrna signs, and it says, even though there's rain, we're still under drought two conditions. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's an old message they didn't update, but it was still true. Even though it was raining, it was still a drought. And I looked at the news this week, I think on Twitter, and it said, now the drought is over in most of these areas in Georgia, but there's still four counties or five that are still affected. Wait a minute, it's June. It's been raining off and on since the fall. But if it's a bad drought, one rain doesn't solve it. It's a continual and a consistent outpouring. So don't be discouraged because the rain hasn't solved your issue yet. It takes a consistent downpour to end a drought. Stay connected and don't give up. 
Stay connected and don't give up. So as Elijah's having a massive pity party, he's heading to Mount Horeb where God appeared to Moses. And on his journey, he's asleep, an angel wakes him up. So this journey is too much for you. We made you a meal. The mercy of God. Elijah throwing a pity party, God still shows up in mercy. Dude, you need to eat. He, goes, he eats, he goes back to sleep, angel wakes him up again, here's some more. And the food that God gave him, it could be manna just like he did in the wilderness. And the water sustained him for 40 days and 40 nights of travel. He gets to the mountain to meet with God. And the Spirit of God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why is that a big deal? Where did God bring Elijah, Jezreel? Now he's not where he's supposed to be. So he says, why are you here? This is not where I wanted you to be. This is not where I called you to be. And so after a few miraculous incidents, he says, now go back home. Go back to where I want you to be. Next lesson. Don't let discouragement move you from your God-ordained place. Don't let discouragement move you from your God-ordained place. Discouragement will come. But you must stay focused and you must stay connected. Go to 1 John 5 and we're in here. Don't let disappointment or discouragement move you from your God-ordained place. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. The last verse in 1 John. Is this helping anybody today? I encourage you afterward, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and download it so you can listen to it again and again this week. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 21. Let's read it together. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Now the thing is, like, I don't have a problem with that. I'm not going to bow down to a gold statue. I'm not going to build a bale or asteroid in my house. I'm not going to bow down for some cows. I might eat them, but I'm not bowing before them. The New Living Translation says it this way. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. The Amplified Classic Edition says, little children, keep yourselves from idols, false gods, from anything and everything that would occupy the place in your heart due to God, from any sort of substitute, for him that would take first place in your life. The Amplified says, little children and believers, dear ones, guard yourself from idols, false teachings, moral compromises, and anything that would take God's place in your heart. You may not bow down to a gold statue, but when something happens, where do you turn first? What priority is God in your life? Who is on the throne of your heart? Do you play musical chairs with God? How many of you remember playing musical chairs as a kid? It wasn't always the fastest person who won. It was sometimes the person who had the biggest butt. Because you could get to the chair first, but you could just bump them out. 
sadly, a lot of people play musical chairs with God that have their own Game of Thrones going on. So this is the throne, the seat of priority in your life. This is number one in your life. And sometimes you let God sit here. But depending on the circumstance, the situation, what's going on, what you want to do, you may bump God down and say, God, you sit here, and I'm going to be God of my life today. I know more than you, God. Yes, you're forever, you're eternal, but I know better. But then sometimes you relegate God to the kitty chair. God, you're supposed to sit there, be seen, and not heard. I'll call you when I need you. So you sit on the throne in your life, and you want the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the almighty God, to sit in a kitty chair. And the thing is, he's a gentleman. So he'll do it. And he'll just sit here. And while you mess up and jack up your life, He's just right here. Well, God, why did you leave me? He said, I didn't leave you. I'm right here. You just disconnected. And see, the thing is, he's like, well, I'm saved. I'm not saying you're going to hell. You may still be on your way to heaven. But you're disconnected. God's not number one in your life. Remember, he's not just supposed to be your savior. He's also supposed to be your Lord. That means supreme in authority, meaning what he says goes. So what happens if you keep putting God in the kitty chair, you're telling them you are not number one. My job is number one. My woman is number one. My man is number one. My friends are number one. What people think about me is number one. What society says about me is number one. What culture says about me is number one. What I want is number one. A lot of people think King Saul is an enemy when studying the Old Testament. But when he studied all the kings, one of the things about Saul who messed up, he never served another God. He only served himself. That's how he lost his position. He was his own God. So the thing is, if you're saying, I know better than God, I'm going to do things my own way because of 2017, so I'm going to sleep around because, hey, it's 2017, you got to test a car before you drive it and buy it, so I'm just going to stay. God in the kitty chair, I do what I want, and if I catch something, I'll go back to God. Kitty chair. Well, I know God wants me to forgive and walk in love, but you don't know what they said, what they did. Even though God says, Vengeance mind said, the Lord says, I'm going to get them back. So, God, go to the kitty chair and I'm going to handle it on my own. God, I know you called me to do this, but that doesn't make enough money. So, I'm going to take my time and study this and do what I think is best. God, go to the kitty chair. God, go to the kids' table. Because you're saying you're God. And you wonder why so many Christians have messed up lives. It's not because God doesn't love them. It's not because he's not a healer. It's not because he's not a provider. He is all those things. He does all those things every day. But for too many people in the church, God is in the kitty chair instead of the throne. And they play Game of Thrones in musical chairs with Jesus. And the church has no power. Because God's not on the throne of their heart. So the last lesson. In everything, put God, his plan, 
his will and his word first. And everything put God, his plan, his will, and his word first. Other things in your life do have importance, but you have to make sure God is number one. Other things can be on the many thrones, but make sure God is on the chief place. You show God is in the chief place by reading your Bible and praying at the start every day. Don't try to read the Bible at the end of the day. Don't try to pray at the end of the day. Your heart may be right, but you start out, oh, God, I thank you for this day. You've been so good to Your heart was right, but you're exhausted. But you show God he has priority by starting your day with him. So if you have to drink your coffee as you read your Bible, do that. Whatever you have to do to make sure God is number one, first place, do that. But the thing is, if you're always running late, God won't be first place. Because you're just rushing out the door, oh, I had to get to church on time. Well, that would be nice if you thought that way, but I have to get to work on time. There we go. Can't be late for my paycheck. I'll be late for Jesus, but I can't be late for my paycheck. And because you slept in, because you stayed up too late, yes, Jimmy Fallon's hilarious. Yes, Trevor Noah's hilarious, but you may need to watch them on the weekends if you can't get up on time. Watching Netflix. If you're single, stop that Netflix and chilling. Watching an episode, man, that was great. I watched another one. The Netflix judges you. Are you still here? Are you still watching? Like one more episode. You stay up super late, and then you sleep and tell your clock to shut up, tell your phone to shut up, and you wake up late, and you're running out the door, and you spend no time with God because you didn't plan to. So if you can give God priority in your life, you may have to go to bed earlier so you make sure you wake up in time to have time to read a chapter, read it out loud, and pray. And not just have all your prayer time in the car. Yes, you can have prayer time in the car. Yes, you can listen to a message in the car. But take some time while you're doing nothing else but spending time with God. So you show God's priority by spending time at the beginning of your day, reading the Bible and praying at the start of your day. You show priority by attending church to start your week. So you're here today. You made it. Praise God. But be here next week too. And the week after that. And the week after that. And the week after that. What if I go out of town? Watch it online. You can go out of town. You can miss church and you're on vacation. But don't just say, I'm taking a break from Jesus. No. Take Jesus with you. If I'm going out of town and I'm going to miss a Sunday, I have picked messages that I'm going to listen to and meditate on. And it's usually at least two messages, one from Brother Copeland and one from Bishop Butler. Because between those two messages, that's three to four hours of teaching, high-level teaching, that I'm going to get more than enough and feed myself while I'm on vacation. I'm not taking a break from Jesus just because I'm on vacation. God is still number one even if I'm on a beach. you got to take the word with you. So you show priority by starting your week in the house of God. Because you come to receive the word, but you also come to worship and give a sacrifice, an offering of praise, and a financial offering to him. You present something to him. But you also come to church to serve and be a blessing. Coming to church is not always about you. Yes, we're Americans, but we have to get American consumerism out of our mentality when it comes to coming to the house of God. 
Maybe one of the reasons God wants you to sit in the seat you're sitting in so you can be a blessing to your neighbor. That you can share an encouragement with them. That you can love them with the love of the Lord. And they feel better about life because they happen to sit next to you. It's not always about me, 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 me. It's about what he can do through you. You show God his priority by tithing. A lot of people say, well, God is my provider. But if they never give, they don't believe it. So many people don't tithe, they just tip God. And some people's tipping is like they do in restaurants. It's horrible. Don't go out to eat if you're not prepared to tip your waiter well. The church shouldn't be the stingy people. I had a friend who worked at a restaurant when we were in college, and she says, you know, I never like working on Sundays. They come from church, and they barely tip. And she's like, you know what? But I really like the drunk people because <laughs> they always tip well. The drunk people shouldn't out-bless the church. You're supposed to be a prosperity agent. You're supposed to be looking for people to bless. So when you're going out, you should, you should have a limit. I will not go below giving them this no matter what they do. What if they mess up my order? What if they're rude? And you have off days. And they may not be the one who messed up your order. Maybe the cook. Why take it out on the waiter? Bless them. Anyways. There's no way I'm giving anybody less than 18 to 20%, no matter what they do. No matter what I order. Doesn't matter if they were horrible or just decent. That's what I'm giving them because I'm a prosperity agent. I'm here to bless people. So God is going to bless me because I'm going to keep blessing people. If you get addicted to giving, God will support your habit. I'm a conduit of the love of God, so I'm going to bless them no matter what. And the thing is, if they did awesome, they're getting something on top of that. The thing is, you should be no when you go into restaurants. They should want to fight over you. Ooh, they're going to give a good tip. They love Jesus and they prove it by their giving. We shouldn't be known as the stingy people. And then he showed God as first by walking in love and forgiving. Don't put God in the kitty chair. Keeping him on the throne of your heart. Those are the nine life lessons from the ministry and life of Elijah about God being your source. Stand to your feet. Amen. Let's thank God for the word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are our source. And you always supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory and the anointing on Jesus and his anointing. We trust you, we believe in you, and we bless you. Every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer, you can put your hands down. I want you to think about the few things that I'm about to say. Every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer, no one moving or walking. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.